A few questions to answer on today's episode of Locked On Ducks. Who are some of the most underrated players for Oregon going into this week's game against Georgia and the 2022 season writ large? And what's the running back room going to look like? How could the carries get distributed? It's a legitimate question and perhaps the most unique mailbag question I've gotten to date. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. So, plenty of questions to answer going into the game against Georgia this week and the 2022 football season year one under Dan Lanning. And I uh, hinted that I might talk about this the other day on the show. Might have been yesterday, but they're all blurring together at this point. And uh, indeed, I am going to today. Who are the most underrated Oregon football players going into 2022 in the minds of what I perceive to be most fans or the Oregon football community writ large, which extends well online and beyond? I think the number one most underrated guy. I really do think, and I don't know that it's close, right? I have other guys who I think are underrated that that I'm going to lay out here. I'm going to give you three names in particular before I get to the running backs, but I think the number one most underrated Oregon football player going into this season is Chris Hudson. I think he's getting lost in the shuffle kind of the same way that Kayvon Thibodeau did in the 2022 NFL draft. He fell all the way to, I believe it was number seven, right? And this happened to Herbert too. He fell to number six to uh, the Chargers and, and Tua was taken at five. Last year, Hudson kind of started to come on at the end. And, and so as a result, I think we saw what he was capable of, or at least a glimpse of it, and thought about you know what he could be in 2022. But because he was already there, and he's been on the team for the last couple of seasons, and he's you know somewhat established as a player, it's easy for him to get lost in the mix. That's what I think kind of happened with Kayvon Thibodeau, who for several years, going into this year's NFL draft, was the consensus number one overall pick. He was a top pass rusher, but after a while, eh, people get bored with that, essentially, is what happens with regards to the NFL draft. I think we've seen with both Herbert and Thibodeau um, a little bit with Sewell, though that's a, a slightly different scenario, uh, looking at Oregon's last three top 10 picks. But I think uh, a great example of it is Justin Fields. I, I have no clue how Justin Fields fell to number 12 in the NFL draft that he was selected. Absolutely no idea. I just do not understand that at all. But I think it is that people just got a little bored with it, and it wasn't at the forefront of our minds. Because it's just a natural thing to do as sports fans, to put in the front of our minds that which is new and that which is kind of uh, we deem exciting right new and exciting tend to go together we want the the new thing not something that we know is is going to be there and so I think that's how Hudson is kind of getting lost in the shuffle here now his numbers in 2021 were not unbelievable spectacular amazing anything like that but they were not bad either 31 receptions in uh, all the games that Oregon played he was involved in all 14 in some form or another 
419 yards, two touchdowns, but it was really the end of the year where he started to come on. Now, he was a solidly rated four-star on on 24-7 when he came out of high school and committed to Oregon. And is one of those guys who, if he committed right now in, in next year's class, and uh, speaking of wide receivers who have committed, I'm very curious to see if Kyler Casper plays a lot or at all this year. Really unique, physically gifted guy, but... There are quite a few uh, established receivers or more established, I guess, because it's one of the most unproven units for Oregon going into 2022. But uh, going back to Hudson, if he was a guy who committed right now, we'd be talking about whether or not he'd be a starter, a regular player or, you know, kind of how he would line up. And, it, and we would have a, we would be you know feeling optimistic about having landed his commitment. We should have been at the time. We should be optimistic about having him now. Over the last few games of the year, and we know that the offense a season ago, for an assortment of reasons, did not do a great job of getting wide receivers the ball consistently. There were multiple games where Travis Dye was the leading receiver. It's one of the biggest things I want to see change from Morgan's offense last year. You create more explosive plays in the passing game when you have your wide receivers involved. And Chris Hudson, as we know, is a playmaker. And he's also a gamer. I, I I think that is a great way to describe him. He just goes out there. He's going to compete every second of every down that, that he's out there on the football field. And I really love that about him. But the last four games of the year are when he really started to, to come on strong and had uh, almost half of his receiving yards in those four games. So in the blowout in Salt Lake City against Utah, he had four catches for 96 yards, which was his best statistical output of the year. Then he followed that up the next week with his best overall game, although his yards were just a little bit less on a per-catch basis, but were still pretty darn good. Seven catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown against Oregon State. One catch for six yards in the Pac-12 championship game. Offense didn't do very well, but didn't do well when he had 96 yards receiving either. And then in the Alamo Bowl, he had six catches for 55 yards and a touchdown. He also had a two-point conversion that was successful on a play that I thought was doomed from the beginning. But it was that little, you know, orbit motion and uh, swing it back out into the flat to the guy who draws the defense's attention. I thought he was toast, but every time he has the ball, he runs hard. And what I like about Chris Hudson is... He can line up outside. He's best suited to be in the slot, but he played outside a number of times in in 2021, and, and he's someone who I think is a solid route runner. He's gotten better at taking care of the ball, right? Had a couple of fumbles in 2021, but cleaned that up as the year went on. And I think he's a guy who, if not for Seven McGee, who's perhaps overshadowing him more than uh, all the other receivers in the room because of his transition, right? And that's a more exciting thing to talk about. If Seven McGee had not transitioned to a wide receiver, which I think is a good move, then I think we'd be talking more heavily going into this year about Chris Hudson, who could very easily be a guy if Oregon has the sort of prolific passing attack that I'm hoping they have in 2022 or, or the one they're capable of having this year. He's a guy who could very easily average anywhere from four to 10 catches a game. I mean, in that Oregon State game a year ago with Anthony Brown back there, who, as we know, didn't get it to wide receivers very consistently, he was the go-to guy. On third down, he was there. He was creating separation, but he was making big plays in big moments, right? There was the moment where I was most worried about giving that game away was, I think it was 31-21 at the time, something like that. And 
The Beavers were on the comeback trail in the fourth quarter. This was after the onside kick, and Oregon was staring at a third and eight. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, this needs to be picked up. And Hudson got enough space on a crosser. Brown delivered a nice ball. He made a contested catch, and he made another one later in the drive as well that was not quite as difficult. But, again, he was there when when we needed him to be. And he's someone who has more experience to the wide receiver position than, than Seven McGee. And if you're going to have two slot receiver sets, you know, going uh, four wide, two on each side, and a running back in the backfield or maybe a tight end, I think your two slot guys could very well be, depending on the personnel and the sort of play you're trying to call, could be Chris Hudson and Chase Coda. Now, you can line up Coda out wide as well and move him around, kind of do whatever you want, frankly. And, uh, you know, maybe Hudson and McGee will be out there running those crossing routes and uh, catching drag routes and 8- to 10-yard crossers in space. And I've seen Hudson go down the field. He's capable of doing that, to be sure. But I really like what he presents, kind of like Troy Franklin, but from the slot. I think he's most effective when he's running routes that are within 5 to 15 yards. I think that's where he really excels, and if he can continue to take care of the ball the way he did in the latter portion of last season, then he could be a really effective player for Oregon this year. Who else is being slept on for the Ducks against Georgia this Saturday and this season? I'll tell you after I tell you about Bet Online, The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Games, find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball. Go Mariners. They won big today. Just saying. NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even my personal favorite golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in game betting to scores and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. I think Terrence Ferguson is a prime breakout candidate this year for a couple of reasons. Number one, I am assuming we get the ball to receivers and tight ends more than we did last year. I think it's a pretty safe assumption because I don't know how much lower it can be from uh, the way the offense operated a season ago. Number two, I am super high on Ferguson. Really, really high on the physical gifts he has. He actually played primarily as a wide receiver in high school, and he's made the transition to tight end. He's a solid blocker. I think Montevau is more likely to give you a pancake block or a, you know, a road-clearing block that, than Ferguson is, but he's solid in that sense. But pass catching and route running, I really like the physical gifts that, that Terrence Ferguson's got. And the play that sticks out the most to me is in the Alamo Bowl. He caught a shallow cross from Anthony Brown and just kind of disposed of an Oklahoma defender on, on third down and ended up moving the chains. I, I think that he's someone who, if if we can work him regularly into the passing attack, I think he's a real weapon. Is he Brock Bowers? No, it seems like nobody is. And, and there's a lot of hype around that guy, rightfully so. But he has a similar sort of frame when you watch him on TV, right? You see the the thickness and muscle mass that he's accumulated to make him a tight end, but you also look at him and go, is that just a big wide receiver? Like he, he seems like the sort of guy Stanford would have recruited, honestly, right? To line up a tight end, throw those fade routes to in the goal line. I'd be down to see that. He's got good size. He's got great hands as well, and I think has a really good feel for uh, the position. But another reason he could be poised to to be a breakout candidate this year is a year ago, Bo Nix in an offense that was not run by Kenny Dillingham, but still Bo Nix was the quarterback. 
he had a tight end by the name of John Samuel Shanker, who in 2021 set the Auburn tight end record for receptions and yards in a season. And Bo Nix didn't even play the whole season, right? That was with a quarterback change. But a lot of those completions and yards came from Bo Nix. The tight ends can often be a safety blanket for a quarterback because sometimes they're involved in check down routes or they can get favorable matchups because of their physical gifts. I really think if Ferguson and Bo Nix can develop some high-level chemistry in 2022, you could see a really good season from Ferguson. I think people understand that, that he's someone who might be poised to take a leap, but I'm higher on him than most. There are certain players on this roster that, that a lot of people like and that I happen to love. Ferguson is definitely one of them. Boss is the other guy on, on the defensive side of, of the ball. But I, I just wonder how much production we can get from the tight ends. It's such a talented room. He and Matavau and Patrick Herbert and Cam McCormick, if those are your number three and four tight ends waiting in the wings, a high four-star and a guy who is more than capable of being a solid contributor in Herbert and McCormick respectively, I think you can do really good things at, at that particular position. Defensively, I think the biggest guy being slept on is a guy I've actually talked about a lot here on the show. But let me explain. Christian Gonzalez is probably going to be Oregon's starting corner, probably going to be Oregon's best corner. But I was doing a little light reading earlier today, emphasis on light. And what I found is that the draft profile for Christian Gonzalez is going up and up. And if he has a good year, could very easily be one and done at Oregon because he might be taken in one of the first three rounds of the NFL draft. Now, depending on which scouting service you look at, they have a little bit of variance in their projections for him and where he could get selected. But when he came over, I thought of him as, you know, what we all heard, which was he was an all Pac-12 honorable honorable mention guy. Like, oh, okay, nice. But I did not know that he was the sort of guy that had the attention of NFL draft scouting services and, and websites like that in a way that, you know, leads a couple to say he could be a second, maybe even a first round pick. I don't know if he's a first round kind of guy. That might depend on how he plays this year and whether he can do the opposite of Mikhail Wright, who he reminds me of a lot, right? Very long, but solidly built, fluid athlete. Needs to work on his ball skills a little bit, Gonzalez does. But right in 2021, I think was trending towards being at least a mid-round pick, and I thought he would be anyway. But he struggled in 2021, as did most of the Oregon secondary, not named Verone McKinley, who also was not able to get drafted, unfortunately. And so I, I just think that Gonzalez is a guy that is going to be better than than people think. I, I've watched a little bit of film on him. Film on him. I need to not give myself tough sentences like that. I sound like a fool. He's a really fluid athlete, and he's physical, too. And Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy come from SEC defenses, right, and the Nick Saban coaching tree. When you think of Nick Saban defensive backs, which of them pops into your mind as a guy who's typically going to play soft and just try and beat you with pure speed and not be a big physical dude. Yeah, I don't know which one either because I can't think of one. That coaching tree of defensive backs is about getting up in your grill, being physical, playing a lot of press man, and that's what Gonzalez, according to the scouting websites, is really good at. And when you watch the film, you see that because he is such 
a dynamic athlete in that sense. And I think Dan Lanning is going to be able to get the most. And Demetrius Martin, who was his DB coach at Colorado, so he has that continuity as well. I think he's going to be able to get the most out of Christian Gonzalez and turn him into a better corner than Oregon had starting on either side in 2021. Mikhail Wright, I always liked. DJ James, I think, was solid. Not not great, but solid. I think his ceiling was kind of an all-Pac-12 honorable mention season, which is you know pretty darn good. Did make the game ceiling interception against UCLA last year off of Ethan Garbers. But I think that Gonzalez could be the best corner Oregon's had on the roster in the last couple of years. And I don't think the reason I have him in this group of players who are relatively being slept on for the Oregon roster going into this season is because I think people have expectations of him being good. But I kind of have an expectation here of him being great. I, I like what I see. And this game against Georgia is going to be a big test. It's probably the most talented group of wide receivers Oregon will face all year. I mean, certainly from a, a recruiting ranking perspective, that is going to be the case. And I think that it's going to be a great test. And he's someone who historically has followed the other team's best wide receiver. I think that's an advantage for a defense to have. But he's going to get thrown into the fire there. And he's got to be Oregon's best player in the secondary because I don't know who else is going to be. Can Dante Manning make a leap and look like the five-star player that he was recruited as? Yeah, I hope so. But am I as confident in that? Or do I see that as likely as Christian Gonzalez being, you know, a really good first or second team all-pack 12 caliber corner? No, I don't think it's quite as likely. And the safeties, just nothing but question marks, basically. You know, Bennett Williams, Jamal Hill are, are back there kind of playing the star position. But I don't know if they're going to be starting on every single play in, in the base defense. Will be Brian Addison, Triquez Bridges, J.J. Greenfield. Like I, I don't know. There's a lot of names that, that could be thrown out there. And we don't know because Dan Lanning won't give us a depth chart. Um yeah, that's just that's just the way uh, the way that it is, which makes life tough for uh, broadcasters. And speaking of broadcasters, I'll be talking to Mike Jorgensen, the Oregon radio color commentator for my entire life and beyond. Uh, he will be on the show on Friday previewing the, the, the Georgia game. So um, make sure you like and subscribe if you haven't already. Stick around uh, for that. But I, I think those are kind of the three most underrated guys going into this year. And two of them are just guys who I, I feel like could really, really pop in Ferguson and Gonzalez. I think that casual Oregon fan has an expectation that those guys will be good. But I think that, that if things play out correctly in the way I hope they will, I think those two guys could be really, really great. Let's shift to the running back position. And this is a giant question mark for me as well, but I'm not worried about it. The secondary outside of Gonzo is a question mark, and I'm kind of worried about it. The defensive end position and generating pressure on a quarterback is a question mark, and I'm worried about it. The running back room is strange because I really don't know, and no one knows who's going to be who or who the primary ball carriers are going to be or if there will be one consistently throughout this year. But I'm not that worried about it. I'm really, really not. Um, but I, I do want to pose this thought. And I'm going to do my best Brian Windhorse impersonation here, who had this hilarious bit on, uh, I think it was first take, posing a question about the Brooklyn Nets and the Utah Jazz and why they would make a certain trade. And he just he posed it something like this, and this is how I'm thinking about the Oregon running back room. Bucky Irving 
led Minnesota in all-purpose yards in 2021 as a true freshman. Why would he leave a good Minnesota team in a better conference for Oregon? Think about that. These are the hand gestures he was using. Think about that. And he had everyone at the table just eating out of his hand. They were like, why? And he didn't have an answer to the question. That was the best part. He was just posing the question. And I semi have an answer to the question, so I won't quite leave you hanging there. I think Bucky Irving is going to be more prominently featured in this Oregon offense than a lot of people think. The expectation for Duck fans is Byron Cardwell will be the number one. I don't think that's a lock for a couple of reasons. Number one, Dan Lanning and the staff, it's not their guy, so they don't feel any loyalty there. So he has to show that he is better than the other guys distinctly to be the number one running back. And I think... I like Byron Cardwell, and he brings a lot to the table. Is he the most physically gifted running back in the room? No, I think that answer is probably Sean Dollars. I think he's comparable to Bucky Irving. I think Irving runs with a little bit more physicality, whereas Cardwell runs with a little bit more patience. And it's not really clear right now what the staff is going to prioritize for that particular position. But I think a lot of people are looking at it as Cardwell and maybe Dollars and then the other guys, you know, Whittington and Irving. I will not be surprised if if we see a number of these guys consistently throughout the year, number one, and on Saturday against Georgia. But number two, I won't be surprised if Bucky Irving, like I, I just couldn't I just couldn't get past that question, right? I was asking to myself, like, why would he leave Minnesota if he didn't have a guarantee that he was going to be a fairly high volume player? Because he showed the Golden Gophers and PJ Fleck up there, row the boat, baby. Uh he showed them what he's capable of, and he did a lot of really good things. But then he just left, and that was a great pickup for Oregon in the transfer portal because it adds depth to the running back room, and in uh, spring practice there were, I think, just two scholarship running backs at the time, but Carlos Lachlan's done a really good job. I think a guy like Irving, right, reminds me a little bit of Bo Nix coming over and why we've all expected him to start for so long. A guy of that caliber leaving that type of school to come to Oregon Seems like he has some sort of implicit guarantee that at the very least, he'll be one of the two most featured backs in the offense this year. And who the number one is, we're going to have to wait and see. It'll depend, you know, maybe on the hot hand. Maybe we'll see three running backs a lot. Maybe they'll rotate them in and out. I mean, for the last couple of years, I suppose in 2019, Habibi Likio was in there for the goal line situations. But it's really just been Travis Dye and CJ Verdell, and that's pretty much been it. We didn't see a whole lot of other guys, and you know that's been a little bit of an anomaly from what we're accustomed to with the Oregon offense. There's usually been a consistent kind of third ball carrier. Oftentimes, it's been a hybrid wide receiver. So I guess Jalen Red kind of fits into that mold, but it feels like it was you know it was seven McGee a little bit last year, right? He'd get a couple fly sweep carries. I wonder if they're going to have a a third down specific running back who, you know, like Noah Whittington, who played in the air raid at Western Kentucky last year. I I wonder if that's the sort of rotation we're going to see, because I just can't look at these guys and based on their their ratings as high school recruits and how they've performed in their college careers so far. I can't pick one out. I really can't. My personal favorite is Sean Dollars. I, I think he's got the best physical traits of all of them. But am I dead set on that? Not really. I'd like to see him get as many carries as we can because we just don't really know what's there. 
Um, but at the end of the day, I also want Oregon to be able to run the ball effectively. And you got to do that with whichever running back is, is best equipped to, to carry the rock and whatnot. But at Minnesota, again, was a nine and four team in the big 10 last year. They've been good. And Bucky Irving, I think was someone who figured to be a prominent guy in their offense. And it just begs the question, Brian Winhorst style, why would he go to Oregon? I think he's going to be uh, a more featured running back than most people than most people think. Um, but I, I think it'll definitely be those four. Like I think Whittington is probably solidly the fourth, but between Cardwell, Irving, and Dollars, going to depend on the coaching staff. Could depend on injuries, preference, game plan. I don't know. A lot of things. I think Jordan James probably in there at number five unless he really starts to pop. But I think that's a little bit more of a deve- developmental play at this time. Okay. Tease this at the beginning of the show. I got the most unique, I mean the most unique, mailback question. You can always get a question answered here on the show at any time. You tweet with the hashtag AskLODpod or you DM me at Smalls underscore 55 or at LockedOnDucks. You can also hop in the YouTube comments, ask me a question. I got a DM here from Beginner Catholic, a recent uh, question asker here on the show. But he sent this one in. And I, I did go through, because he sent me a, a list. You'll understand uh, here in a moment. When Lanning was first introduced as Oregon's new head coach, he talked about forming not only championship players, but championship men. With my intellectual background, nice little humble brag there, I immediately thought of the virtues. I remember learning that in philosophy class. What do you think, or what virtue do you think Oregon can grow in the most? going into this season. Never had a question like that. Totally down for it, by the way. I always say, hey, you don't ask me anything. Like, I'll answer it. If you want to answer it, I'll answer it here on the show. If you want me to rank my favorite Star Wars movies in order, I'll do that. Or Marvel movies. Or anything else, right? If you want me to, I'll do it. Ask me a question about the Ducks, I'll answer it. Now, I don't know all of the virtues and vices off the top of my head, but he was nice enough to send me a list. And I went through... And the one that stood out to me the most was foresight. And that is, by definition, the ability to foresee events before they happen based on past experiences. And the reason I picked that one and why I think it's kind of the most important one for for Oregon going into this year is there's a very real chance that Oregon could repeat Utah's season from from a year ago. I think it's entirely possible. Utah, in 2021, right, rolled Oregon twice, won the Pac-12 championship, very nearly won the Rose Bowl, gained themselves a lot of respect going toe-to-toe with Ohio State in the process. They started last year 1-2. and That could 100% happen for Oregon this year. I will take 2-1 and in a heartbeat because it means we beat either BYU or Georgia. Though if we beat Georgia and lose to BYU, that'd be a little bit of a letdown because then you would take out college football playoff implications. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think we lose to Georgia, beat, uh, was it Eastern Washington? Yeah, Eastern Washington week two. And then week three, BYU at home. Not an easy game. But Oregon could very easily be 1-2. and two. And the reason I picked foresight as the most important virtue here is... Should that happen to this team and this coaching staff, they have got to be able to understand that their entire season is not going to be defined in the first three weeks. For some teams and programs, it is. For Oregon's, it is not. 
because this is year one with Stan Lanning. So you're not going to, you know, fire him or anything like that. And other teams, right, coaches have to win now. Like Scott Frost, Nebraska season, defined in the first few weeks. They lose in week one. In a few months or weeks, it should be, hey, Scott, don't let the door hit you on the way out if you're the Nebraska Athletic Administration. If Oregon starts one and two, they've got to be able to stay the course, trust in what Lanning and this staff are preaching to them, and believe in themselves to have a strong end to it. And even if they're two and one, I, I think when you have an early season loss, which is probably going to happen this Saturday, it can be really easy to get caught up in the moment. But you've got to be able to have the foresight and and be able to understand that just because everything doesn't go the way you want early doesn't mean it can't end the way you want later, right? The only thing Utah was missing from that 2021 season that their fans would have wanted is winning the Rose Bowl. Everything else went probably beyond their hopes for the 2021 season because I don't know if they were, I think they were ranked in like the low teens or so going into it. I don't think they were thinking they would blow out Oregon twice and get to the Rose Bowl. So of all the virtues that uh, that are out there, I think foresight is going to be the most important one because this non-conference schedule is really, really tough. I hope it's 2-1. and one. I think it'll be 2-1, and one, but it could very easily be 1-2. and two. And if that's the case, the players and the staff need to have some foresight about how to finish the season the best way they can. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.